finishing up here this chapter, about a third of the way or probably half of the way through the Sermon on the Mount now, we find Jesus continuing his instruction. And we're told there in verse 43, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good, and He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Why do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, last week we talked about Jesus' instruction of not retaliating, not getting revenge against those um, who maybe harm us, who persecute us. And now Jesus is saying, okay, don't do this, but instead do this. Right? Don't, don't seek revenge, but instead we should be loving toward them. And Jesus makes a very interesting declaration there. Because you'll notice, he says there in verse 45, he says that you may be children of your Father in heaven. What Jesus is helping us to see is that the way that we love our enemies, all right, that's what we're specifically talking about here this morning. We're not talking about how we love one another within the church. Now, sadly, sometimes there are enemies within the church, but he's talking specifically about how, how do we love our enemies outside of the church? And he tells us, he says, that those who love their enemies will prove themselves, not, not earn their way into God's kingdom, but will show themselves to be God's children. I, I think of this, right? Eli uh, Eli sits up here and, and he he's, has, has a lot of musical skill. He sits up here and he plays the bass guitar. And, and it, his abilities are a reflection of his father who sits over here and plays the drums, right? Or on other Sunday mornings, right? Liam sits back here and he's banging away on the drums and he's a reflection of his father and banging away in a good way. I mean, it's a musical bang is what you're doing, Liam. And, and his, his father is up here, has musical skills, right? And so you might say, oh, well, Liam is, Liam, when it comes to music, he, he's just like his dad. Or Eli, when it comes like his, to his music, he's, he's just like his dad, right? We're familiar with, with that type of explanation, aren't we? Or I, I think of Nick Swetnam, Bruce's son. Uh, if, you, if you know Nick Swetnam, man, he is a hard worker. He's a, he's a tall young man, too, he, but he's also gentle. He's one of the nicest guys you would ever talk to. Well, I tell you, you meet Nick, you've met Bruce Swetnam, essentially, because Nick is a reflection of his father. 
And so what Jesus is telling us here is that the way in which we love our enemies is a reflection of the heart of God. Michael has done a great job already greasing the skids for us this morning. I mean, he has given this airplane a great runway to take off from in this sermon. Leading us in song to help open our hearts to remind us of God's love for us. But God's love doesn't just stop with you and me. It's a love that is to be shared with others. It's a love that we are to to share even with our enemies. So the big idea for this morning is this. Our love shows the world we are children of our Heavenly Father. When people experience your love, they should be getting a glimpse of who God is. Because our love to the world shows them that we are children of the Heavenly Father. And so Jesus then, he tells us, what does this love look like? That's what Jesus then explains to us. And we see in verses 43 through 45, the first half of 45, Jesus helps us to see the importance of loving intentionally like our Heavenly Father. That we should be people who have great intention in loving our enemies. We turn then again to verse 43. Follow along with me there in your copy of God's Word. Where Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. Now Leviticus 19.18, as we've been learning over these last several weeks, uh, what Jesus is doing when he says, I, you've heard it said, or I've told you, or, or it is written. right? He's, he's bringing to us an Old Testament truth, and he's not... He's not um, in what he's doing, he's, he's saying this Old Testament truth is going to be revealed in me. The fullness of it is going to be shown in me. I will fulfill all of this. And so he, is, again, is, is drawing our attention to an Old Testament truth, but only half of what, what is said here, what they've heard said, is true. Now, we know that in Leviticus 19.18, that was the source that these Pharisees and teachers of the law, that's where they they learned the importance of loving your neighbor. We see it there. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. Now, that, has, that really ties together last week's sermon, doesn't it? And this week's sermon, Leviticus 19 does. But you'll notice that there's no mention here. <clears throat> there's no mention of hating your enemy in Leviticus 19. In fact, there's no biblical command to hate your enemies found anywhere in the Old Testament or the New Testament. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, what they did is they took this Old Testament instruction and they manipulated it in their favor and then they added to it. Because you'll notice, what does Jesus say there in verse 43? He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor, right? That's true. That's biblical. That's rooted in the Old Testament, Leviticus 19. But then they added to it and hate your enemy. See, what they did is they took this verse and they they saw where, where it talks about against the sons of your people. And they thought, oh, those are the only people who, who our, our neighbors are. And so that means if, if you're not our neighbor whom I'm supposed to love, then naturally that just means I'm supposed to hate you. <laughs> right? It's like, 
I cheer for Louisville. I love all Cardinal fans, right? A lot of you were cheering this week. And so therefore, because I live in Kentucky, if I love the Cardinals, I should strongly dislike the, the, those who like UK, right? I mean, I'm from Ohio. That's how we feel about that state up north, right? We get it, right? We, we understand how sometimes this plays out. We love these people, but we don't like these people. But Jesus says that's not true. That's not the case. These Pharisees, these teachers of the law, they've taken this. They've manipulated it in their favor. And what they did is, first of all, they removed the standard of love. And the standard there in Leviticus 19, you shall love your neighbor how? As yourself. We don't see that reflected here in what Jesus says. You've heard it said. So they removed that standard. I'm just going to love based upon however I feel like loving that day. They removed that, and then they created these qualifying categories, neighbors and enemies. So Jesus is helping them to see that loving your neighbor is going to be fulfilled in him, and he's also, he's also correcting them here. Right? However, on the contrary, okay, so we understand that in the Old Testament, there's nowhere is it mentioned that we should hate our enemies. Jesus is helping us to see that. In fact, in the Old Testament, it is mentioned numerous times the importance of caring for your enemies, those people who would, you would consider as your enemy. We see it there in Proverbs 25, 21. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. Also in Exodus 23, we're told if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. In other words, not only are we to love our enemy, but we're also supposed to love our enemy's donkeys in such a way that if we see one of our enemy's donkeys really struggling with this load that he is carrying, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is crazy. Just kind of imagine, like, don't worry, hee-haw, I'll, I'll take that for you, you know? Let's share this load together, donkey, you know? And here we go, and we show up at our enemy's doorstep, and we say, hey, I helped your donkey. He was a little bit overburdened back there. I mean, that's crazy, right? We wouldn't think about that. We wouldn't want to give water to, right? We don't give water to our enemies. We don't feed our enemies. It's, it's, unfortunately, it, that doesn't always come naturally for us. And here we want to do this. So, so Jesus is really, I, I mean, Jesus is helping us to see how, uh, how he's, his way, his kingdom is completely different. Is completely different. That he's, um, he's going against what is natural. That in the human flesh is natural for us with this. And so Jesus is going on to help us to see what the righteousness that surpasses those of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, what it looks like. When he declares, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Right? Through this command, Jesus is correcting this misleading instruction of the Pharisees. And he's helping us to see that our neighbors include our enemies, that our neighbors include our enemies. Jesus helps us to see that in the parable of the Good Samaritan, doesn't he? That our neighbors include our enemies and how we're to love them. See, sometimes, okay, we, we might say, okay, well, maybe I don't want revenge against my enemy 
or maybe I'm willing not to get revenge against my enemy. Um, but, but we kind of maybe adopt more of a, a neutral stance, kind of a neutral stance. I'm not going to seek their revenge, but man, are you serious? Actually intentionally love them? Mm, I'm going to stick right here, kind of on the fence in this no man's land, this, this neutral mentality. That's, I think that's probably where a lot of us in here land, is we just stay neutral or we just stay out of their way or we just kind of lay low against our enemies. But rather than adopting a neutral stance toward our enemies, which certainly would seem to be the better response or the better option than hating them, what does Jesus do? He instructs us to love them. And this love is an intentional and continual action. Let me say that again. This love is an intentional and continual action. See, no longer are we to consider any individual a personal enemy. But Jesus is telling us to treat everyone as neighbors, as friends. We are to seek to do good to those who intend to harm us. It is our duty to bless others who would prefer to curse us. And this love that Jesus is describing here, when he says, love your enemies, this love that he's describing is a constant and consistent love. It is not a love that is to be determined based upon your mood of the day. Nor should we excuse our lack of love toward our neighbors because of the mood of our day. I just got up on the wrong side of the bed. Sorry, I happened to be the first, you, you were the first person I came in contact with, right? It's to be constant. It's to be consistent. It's not based on our feelings. It's not based on our public opinion. It's not based upon what, how other people tell us we should treat our enemies. It's a privilege to be able to give ourselves away for the benefit and the blessing of those who hate us. That's what we're called to do. Right? So I wonder, who's my enemy, right? Sometimes our enemies are defined by, by political party lines. Right? Isn't that an area where we tend to kind of who's right and who's wrong? Maybe it's a close friend who deeply hurt you. And maybe in distant ways is still deeply hurting you. Maybe it's just deeply hurting you because there's not been any reconciliation there. And you've sought that reconciliation, but there's no response. Maybe, maybe in your heart you see that person as an enemy. Maybe it's an estranged mother or father, an estranged sibling, a spouse. Maybe it's a coworker who has a way of always making your life difficult. Right? There are all types of ways in which we define what these enemies look like. But Jesus tells us what? 
that we should love that person intentionally. Intentionally. Consistently. Constantly. Seeking to love them. Now, if I can, if I can drive this point home just a little bit more, let me remind you of that passage there in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's a passage that is often read at weddings. It's often referred to as the love chapter, <laughs> isn't it? And we've heard, again, whether, you, whether you've grown up in the church or not, or maybe this is your first time hearing about 1 Corinthians 13, or at least the reference, chances are if you've been at one of those weddings, you've, you've at least heard some of those words, right? Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it does not dishonor, right? All of, all of that, where, where Paul describes for us what this love looks like. And again, it's easy to think about that love within the context of a wedding ceremony. It's easy to think about that, that love within the context of us in here, right? Okay, yeah, some of you annoy me, but you're easier to love than those people, and so I'm patient with you. And I annoy some of you, and so you're patient with me. But take this truth and now apply it within the context of your enemies. Love is patient with my enemies. Love is kind toward my enemy. Love does not envy what my enemy has and I don't have. Love does not boast about what I have and my enemy is lacking. Love is not proud of my accomplishments before my enemy. Love does not dishonor my enemies even on social media. Love is not self-seeking against our enemies. Love is not easily angered by the attacks from my enemies. Or what about this? Love keeps no record of wrongs of what my enemy has done against me. Love does not delight in evil that others do against my enemy. But love rejoices with the truth when it's shared with our enemies. Love always protects the good reputation of my enemy. Love always trusts in the power of God's reconciliation with my enemy. Love always hopes for the best outcome with my enemy. Love always perseveres. Love never fails toward our enemies. 
you think about what love looks like within the context of our enemies in 1 Corinthians 13, boy, that's a game changer, isn't it? That's a game changer. And, and so as if Jesus telling us to intentionally, to love intentionally our enemies isn't enough, what does he do? He, he kind of, he presses in a little bit further. At this point, uh, the instructions that Jesus gives us, they go even further. The love that we show them is to be formed in this world. It's interesting, right? We love them in this world, but now he is going to say, and now I'm going to, to show you how you should treat your, your enemies in the otherworldly, in the spiritual realm. Because now Jesus takes us out of this world, loving your enemies, doing good to them, and now he takes us into the spiritual. And what does he do? He says that we should pray for those who, who persecute us. Because now, now we are seeking their welfare, not only in this world, but now we are seeking the welfare of our enemies before our Heavenly Father. We're to practice a lifestyle of praying for those whom we would, in our natural state, prefer not to pray for. You think about, um, there in the book of Acts, some of us are familiar there with the account in Acts chapter 7 where Stephen is being stoned, right? Stephen is often recorded as the first martyr for the faith, killed for what he believed, for following Jesus. And if you remember there in Acts 7, 59 and 60, Luke records for us, he says that while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and he cried out. He said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. His final dying words was a prayer to the Lord for his enemies that God wouldn't hold this against them. When the stones are being thrown at you by your enemies, do you pick up the stones and try to throw them back at them in return? Or do you fall to your knees in prayer for your adversaries? For those who have undercut our reputation, for those who have maybe spoken cutting remarks, remarks, about us, behind our backs, for those who maybe have insulted us time and time and time again, for those people who have intentionally tried to discourage us, for those who have turned their backs toward us, or, or for those who have stabbed us in the back and, and completely betrayed us, betrayed us, what's our response? We pray for them. We love them in this world, and we pray for them. We take them to our Heavenly Father. And through prayer, we stand before God by the side of our enemy. Listen, I want you to picture this in your minds. Imagine what this is like. Through prayer, what do we do? Through prayer, we stand before our Heavenly Father by our enemy's side and we present them to the Lord, asking God to change their hearts, to heal their wounds, and to bless their lives with his goodness too. How long 
is your prayer list for your enemies. Intentionally loving them, praying for them, and then Jesus in verse 45, he gives us, he says, we then learn that through these activities of love and prayer, these are characteristics of our Heavenly Father, and we show ourselves to be God's children through the love we show toward our enemies and the ways we pray for them. He says that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Church, many people will try to prove themselves as being children, children of God by trying to impress the world with their knowledge of theology and doctrine. Many Christians will try to prove that they are children of God by serving countless hours in the church. Many people will try to prove that they are children of God to the world by winning arguments about morality or being a cultural crusader. They will try to prove how much of a child of God they are by giving generously and financially to the poor or to the church or to those in need. People will try to to prove that they're a child of God by having perfect attendance to church. And that even includes in-person services. You get an extra bonus sticker. And while these activities can be helpful in certain situations, Jesus tells us that the way we display we are children of God is by the way we, lo we love and pray for our enemies. We are like our Heavenly Father in this way, and the world takes notice. The world takes notice. Now, I promise you the next two points are much shorter. The next one is this, love without discrimination, according to our Father. All right, so we're to love. God loves us intentionally. And then what does he do? Jesus says that that love, the love of our Father, is without discrimination. And helping us to see the way our Heavenly Father does not discriminate, Jesus provides several illustrations for us to consider. Follow along with me there in your copy of God's Word, verse 45, the latter half. Jesus says that God causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Jesus is commanding for us here. In these verses, Jesus is commanding a love that is free of discrimination. A love that has no limits toward our enemies. That has no limits toward our enemies. And the pictures that Jesus provides are easy for us to understand because within the past 24, 48 hours, we have experienced both of them. Because the same sun this morning, praise the Lord, the sun rose on this, the first day of spring at 1133. It will officially turn spring. Did you know that today? Can I get an amen for spring? <laughs> the same sun that came up and shone and heated and came through your window Follower of Jesus Christ, child of God, also came through the window of that person who shakes their fist at God. The same rain that falls on my crops and your garden also falls on the crops and the gardens of those who choose 
not even to believe that there is a God. The sunshine and the water are both life-giving sources. We can't live without either of them. Are both life-giving sources, are, are both displays of God's grace that are freely shared to all without discrimination. The other day as I was thinking about this, I was out watering my, uh, some of my, my garden plants there, and I had this, uh, I've got several different types of sprinklers, and, and the one sprinkler I was using at the time was like a, hand, a wand that just has this little sprout, right? this little spray. And so I'm going around... It, watering individual plants. I'll give you a little water and, and you a little water and you a little water. And what I'm doing when I'm, when I'm doing that is I'm avoiding giving the weeds any water, right? I don't like weeds, right? And so, so I'm, I'm isolating, I'm, I'm discriminating on who gets water in my garden. But there's also this other type of waterer, this other sprinkler that has this wide band of water that I plug it into the hose and it just, it just waters everything in its path. And it gives generously to everything. It gives, it gives that equally to all things. And I, I appreciate this picture. I thought, you know, that's God's love, right? This is my type of love. I like to sprinkle a little love over here to Judy because she's nice to me. She gives me hugs on Sunday morning, right? I like to sprinkle my a little love over here to Caleb because he's, he watches my chickens when we're gone and they're all still alive when we come home. I like that. So he gets a little bit of love over here, right? So, I mean, that's, that's our tendency, isn't it? To sprinkle a little bit of love to those people who are going to give it in return. But what Jesus says is don't, don't be like that little sprinkler who just gives love to those people who are going to give it to you in return. Be like that giant yard sprinkler. This is going to change the way you view sprinklers for the rest of the summer. I pray that's true. When you see that sprinkler, that wide swath of sprinkler, sprinkling those yards, think of God's love that gives without discrimination. Gives without discrimination. The same water that falls on my tomatoes, weeds, falls on the weeds alike. The same Love that falls on the grass also falls on those dandelions. The same love that showers waters the tulips and the thistles. And the way we are to love others, Jesus is saying, is without discrimination. And when we, when we love in this way, what we're doing is we're keeping our hearts free from hatred. Right? You can't hate someone if you love them. The reason you've chosen to hate someone is because you've chosen not to love them. And so when we choose to love our enemies, to love people that are difficult to love without discrimination, we free ourselves up. We free ourselves from, from hatred. It's natural and ordinary to love those who love us. It's natural to want to love those who are going to give us something in return. There's nothing remarkable about a love that looks more like a business transaction or an act of favoritism. There's nothing impressive about that because the world can do that, Jesus says. I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. There's nothing, there's nothing otherworldly about that. But Jesus says, love those who are your enemies and who can't or won't 
return the favor. Bonhoeffer says it well. Love asks nothing in return. But it seeks those who need it. And who needs our love more than those who are consumed with hatred and utterly devoid of love? Who, in other words, deserves our love more than our enemy? Where is love more glorified than where she dwells in the midst of her enemies? Where is love displayed in great glory when it's a a love that's given to your enemies? And so the final point then is this, love conforms our hearts to our Father. First, we should love intentionally. Love them and pray for them. We should love without discrimination. We should give our love freely like the garden sprinkler. And now Jesus helps us to see that love conforms our hearts to our our Father. Jesus says in this final verse, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, we often think of this verse in terms of an, on, of an impossible pursuit, right? Perfection. <laughs> Who can be perfect? How can I be perfect in loving my enemies? Or even thinking back on some of the previous dis- directives in this chapter, because I, I believe verse 48 is actually kind of a culmination of, of the previous um, instructions Jesus has given us, right? Uh, how can I be perfect in loving my enemies? Or, or how can I be perfect in not getting angry? Or how can I be perfect and not lusting in my heart? Or how can I be perfect and, and faithful in my marriage? Or how can I be perfect in, in keeping my word? Or how can I be perfect and not retaliating? When you consider these requirements, what happens, right? When we hear that word, be perfect, and we think, how can I be perfect in loving my enemy? When you consider these requirements, oftentimes we respond in one of two ways. Either we allow ourselves to be completely overwhelmed and we give up and say it's an impossible task, or we turn to Jesus and allow him to shape and to change our heart. See, what this final verse is doing is it's pointing us way back to verse 20 that we've, hit, that we've touched on numerous weeks. Verse 20, where Jesus is saying, right, To enter into the kingdom of God, your righteousness must surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the righteousness that they had was merely an external righteousness. The emphasis in this verse is that those who are citizens of Jesus' kingdom are involved in a life that has a singular focus. It's a life that is whole and complete, a life that is not defined By hypocrisy, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, their lives were defined by hypocrisy. They were those who honor God with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. They were like the cup that that looked good on the outside, but was dirty and filthy on the inside. And what Jesus is telling us is that the follower of Jesus in being perfect... It's not perfect in the idea of us that, that that person has no flaws but instead that the follower of Jesus is pursuing a life that is consistent on the inside and the outside. That how we live is truly a reflection of the state of our heart. That how we live is truly an outward display of whose child we are. The instruction to be perfect is synonymous with 
wholehearted devotion to the Lord. It's synonymous with the idea of an uh, all of me and all of my life commitment to the kingdom and living for the king. This final verse is instructing us to not be content with the bare minimum of Christian living, to not be content with just looking good on the outside. Instead, Jesus is instructing us to stop doing just enough to get by. This is what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were doing. But Jesus is telling us to lean in on Him, the power of the Holy Spirit, to run hard after a life of complete devotion and abandonment to righteous kingdom living, a righteousness that is only found in Jesus. Where does the righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees come from? It comes from our Savior, Jesus. And so as we think about loving our enemies, what seems to be an impossible task, we turn our attention to our Savior, don't we? We turn our attention to the Savior. And we pursue Him. We pursue Him. We don't waste our time. What C.S. Lewis says, don't waste your time bothering whether or not you love your neighbor. Just act as if you did. Because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what we do, isn't it? Just, just do it. Right? Nike has it, right? As soon as you do this, we find one of the great secrets that when you are behaving as if you love someone, you'll presently come to love him. The worldly man treats certain people kindly because he likes them. The Christian, trying to treat everyone kindly, finds himself liking more and more people as he goes on, including people he could not even have imagined himself liking at the beginning because that's what Jesus does. That's how Jesus changes our heart. I mean, we should get to a point to where we are progressive, growing in our love for our enemies and for those who we can't stand today, that next year we should find our heart learning to love them. Choosing to love them. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We know what the love of Christ looks like, don't we? We know what the love of Christ looks like, that while you and I were still enemies of His, He died for us. He took on Himself the pain and the punishment, the penalty that you and I deserve because of our sin against a holy God. And Jesus said, I will die in your place. He displayed His love for us there on the cross. And what did he then do? Some of even Jesus' final words on the cross. That he was there, as he was there hanging on the cross, he looked down at those who had just driven the nails in his hands, in his feet. And he said, Father, forgive them. He prayed for them. And church, the perfect example of what this love looks like is Jesus, because when we see Jesus, we see the Father, and when the world sees us, they should see the Father too.